what a day. What a year, right? Anyone expect, anyone going into January 2020 said, yeah, this is exactly how I thought 2020 would happen. Chris knew, he knew it was going to happen. Why didn't you tell us, man? If you would have warned us, you know. Uh, but I've grown to appreciate this little bit of time after Christmas and before the new year. Not every year do you get a, a full week between the two, uh, at least with a Sunday on there. But uh, most you do. I've grown to appreciate this kind of afterglow of Christmas, where we have time to reflect back on where we've been, and we still have the hope of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, the heightened spirits of Christmas before the dreary winter sets in upon us, and we still have, 2021 stands before us like a giant blank whiteboard. You can write anything on that board that you want. What are you going to write on 2021? Who will you choose to be in 2021? How will this differ, this year be different for you than it was in 2020? Do you wish you had been better prepared for 2020 than you were? You know, if only we had a prayer as a touch point to return to again and again to center and ground us throughout 2020 as every unexpected obstacle and occurrence popped up. And if only we could be certain that it was the right prayer to pray. Well, I believe that I have found such a prayer to prepare us for 2021 in Psalm 90. Would you turn with me to Psalm 90? Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. And we're going to read every verse in this psalm, but as we do throughout the course of the sermon, you will see that there's something driving kind of an existential contemplation for Moses as he prays this prayer. We don't know for sure what event this was that brought Moses to his knees to pray this prayer. Perhaps it was when his sister Miriam died. Maybe it was when Aaron passed away. Both, we have both these events recorded in the Pentateuch. Maybe, and this is an event that we will spend a little bit more time in the coming weeks looking at. Maybe this was when he struck the rock and water came out. But not the first time, the second time. Remember the second time he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck it. And after all those faithful years leading uh, a grumbling people through the wilderness, God punished him for striking the rock a second time and said, you brought him this far, but you cannot go into the promised land. You will die now in the wilderness. Perhaps that was the event that brought Moses to pray Psalm 90. We don't know exactly what it is, but we can feel what he felt as we read this prayer. And this prayer, of course, starts in verse 1, but 200 words pass or so before he gets to his first ask. How long do you pray before you start asking God right away for something? Moses was well into this prayer, almost to the end of the prayer, before he even asked God for anything. And we see in this prayer five requests that I think would be healthy 
You may not want to memorize the whole psalm, but to memorize these five requests. Together as a church, we pray this for our families, for ourselves, for our church throughout 2021. I think that would be healthy and commendable for us. Let's look at the first request that we see here. The first request is in verse 12. Verse 12, Moses says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see it there in verse 12? So the first request is to teach us to number our days. What, what does that mean? To teach us to number our days. Well, as we go through the first 11 verses, I think we can kind of figure out where Moses' headspace was. I think by looking at verses 1 through 11, we can kind of glean three things, I think, or three weights that Moses was carrying that led him to say, teach us to number our days. If we look back in verses 2 through 6, uh, we see, I think, he was carrying the weight of our brevity and God's longevity. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Think about, uh, what did you what did you do yesterday? Can you recount all that happened yesterday? What about the last shift that you worked? It doesn't seem like much time at all. For God, the last thousand years went by just as quickly for him as yesterday did for you, or as that last eight-hour shift did for you. For us, our lives are very brief. God experiences a lot more longevity. We tell this to our kids. To our 12-year-olds. Hey, I've been a 12-year-old before. You've never been a 40-year-old. So trust me when I'm telling you what you're going to experience. And if only we could take that same advice when God says, Hey, I've been around for a long, long time. I've seen millions upon millions of people go through exactly what you're going through right now. Just lean on me. Our lives are brief. His is quite long. He says in verse 5, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. I think... Moses, for whatever reason, is dealing with carrying the weight of, man, life is short. I wonder if he was thinking all the way back to when he was a young man, and now he's an old man in the wilderness, what we think of when we see Moses. But at one time, he was young, fit, in shape. Life is so quick for all of us. And so we pray, Lord, teach us to number our days, to appreciate the ones that you have given us. You know, I think back when I was... You guys know Cece. When I was Cece's age, I was closer then to my the dates I was married than I am now. That's just crazy to think about. I'm growing older. I'm getting more gray. Um, put, put that picture up of uh, those two young kids. Look at those two kids. That's me and Rachel. We were engaged. We look like we're 12, I think. 
But we were actually engaged and life, it just seems like yesterday. I remember the pants I was wearing when we did that, the shoes I had on. I remember we went to the Botanical Center in Des Moines, Iowa to take those pictures. And my roommate took the pictures for us. It just seems like just yesterday that happened. And now here we are, 21 years later. Here, just for reference, put this current picture of Rachel and I up, would you? Look at that. Well, that's how, that's how old we feel anyway. Rachel morphed us with her phone. We'll see if that comes true or not. At least I got a little bit of hair left in that picture. I think she looks great for, you know, 101 or whatever that is. But life goes by quickly. And Moses feels the weight of it. He realizes our brevity and God's longevity. Um, I think the second weight that Paul is carrying when he's thinking about numbering our days is our frailty and God's permanency. Look in verse, in verse 1 and 2 and 3. Verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Think about the nation of Israel. When he, when he prayed this prayer, they're in the wilderness, no doubt. But even before that, their entire lifespan as a nation was in a land that didn't belong to them. Before this, before they were in no man's land, they were in Egypt, slaves. Before they were slaves, they were foreigners in the land. They never had a land that they could call their own. And, and, and Moses feels that, but he says, you have been our dwelling place for all, all time. You've always been our dwelling place. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I think he's, we, we, we see a contrast here between we're just a fragile people, but you, you're stronger than the mountains themselves. You're the one that formed the mountains. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. We do, I do funerals. And inevitably, if I'm standing by the grave, I, I say those familiar uh, words, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Because God says, from the dust you, of the earth you came and to the dust you shall return. We are fragile. And Moses is feeling that weight. Not only our frailty and his permanency, but I think... Moses is definitely feeling the weight of our iniquity versus God's integrity. Look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their lifespan is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days. I think when we pray, and if we would pray, Lord, teach us to number our days we're recognizing that those days are short. We don't have much time. Those days are fragile. We're not guaranteed anything or any number of them. Those days are perilous. We must not waste them. So we apprehend the brevity. We appreciate the frailty. We avoid the iniquity. And in doing so, in praying that Lord teach us to number our days, we may get a heart of wisdom. We, we so desperately need 
to learn to live in the present moment. Satan knows that we are completely powerless to control what has happened in the past. We have no ability for what lies in the future. All we have is right now, in this moment. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? And if Satan can get us to get stuck in the past or so preoccupied with the future that we are absent in the present, that is a success for him. I think we see an infatuation in our culture like never before with fiction. It's the same thing, trying to remove us from what our present obligation is, what our present experience is. God has built you to live and choose and act in the present. If we could learn to number our days, I, I guarantee you every single one of us on our deathbed will be looking back and thinking, it was so short. If only I had more days. If I could have done more with what I had, well, you can do more with what you have, but you have to live while it is still today. So Lord, teach us to number our days. Given the limited number of our fragile days, a second request is quickly found in verse 13. Look at verse 13 where he says, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. I don't know what Moses had in mind here, but we see a second prayer request is for God to return soon. I don't know what Moses had in mind when he prayed for the Lord's return, but I know what I have in mind when I pray for the Lord's return. And I know that there's a lot of solutions being thrown around in the world to address the many afflictions that face mankind. And I also know that none of those solutions will satisfy the problems. Only one solution will. That is the return of Christ. And I also know that we don't pray for the return of Christ as often as we should. Even Moses said, return, O Lord. How long? Look at the... Look at the the, the sorrow in his request. How long have pity on your servants, longing for Christ to return. You know, oftentimes we, we long for the return of something as a solution in our lives, but maybe not the return of Christ. Sometimes we long for a return of maybe a loved one that has moved on or passed away. We just think life was better when they were here. If only they could come back. If I could have that return, I would be happier. Maybe we long for a certain situation in our life. Back when it was like this, if only we could go back to that, it would be so much better. Maybe you long for certain pay scale that you're given or Respect that you had been awarded and you no longer have. Whatever it is, we long for certain things to return. But none of those will satisfy. What we really need is Christ to return. We look around this broken world. The best that we can do, the best that humanity can offer, it's better than if we didn't do anything at all, but it just falls so short of what Christ is going to do when he comes and sets all things right and shepherds us and loves us and rules with justice. We long for Christ to return. And so we must, like Moses did, we must pray for it. Return soon, O Lord. May this be a year where you learn to pray for the return of Christ. And when he answers that prayer, we'll see see a marrying of verses 10 
in verse 13. I don't think this is what Moses had in mind at all when he prayed this prayer, but we know when Christ does return, we will fly away, as the old hymn says, and ever be with our Lord. So we pray for him to teach us to number our days. We pray for him to return soon. But while we are yet here, there's a third request to ask for in verse 14 and 15. Set your eyes on verse 14 through 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. The prayer request is satisfy us, Lord. Satisfy us. Sometimes I think we think that's wrong to pray for satisfaction. Moses is praying for satisfaction, for joy, for gladness, for happiness, for enjoyment, and for it to be as long as the years that he suffered. I want as many as years as I've suffered. I want that many to be happy and prosperous and glad and full. Pray for it and pray that it comes from the hand of God through the blessings that he gives you, that your satisfaction would be in him and that you would never be satisfied apart from him, but pray for satisfaction. Somewhere along the way, I think many Christians have gotten the idea that somber is more holy, that boring is better, that enjoyment is good. But if you get too much enjoyment, well, now you're toeing the line with sin. That's not, Moses here is praying for full for fulfillment, for joy. Jesus came that we might have joy and that it might be full. We know from Psalm 1611, dispels the myth. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. No one should be enjoying life more than a believer who is walking rightly with God. And maybe we need to start praying for some more enjoyment in 2021. This, this myth that somber is more holy. I think Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 dispels that as well. The context in Nehemiah chapter 8 is Ezra had rediscovered the law. The nation of Israel had been living without it for so long. And then they put up a podium and a stage and they read the law to the people. And the people began to weep and mourn because they realized they had not been obeying the law. They didn't even know what it was. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they, wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Listen to this. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. What a great verse for next year. I particularly like this verse because this is the verse you need to memorize when people complain. Maybe your wives, men, complain that you eat too much fat. You, anyone here go to Mission Barbecue? Bilski, go to Mission Barbecue? Yeah. I order the same thing every time I go. I get their brisket, and here's what I tell them every time I say, give me the fattest, nastiest, that piece of fat you put on the side that you're ashamed to serve anyone, put it on my plate. I want the fatty portion. I love the fat that comes off the cow. And God says here, hey, this is a holy day. Don't mourn. Don't weep. Because it's holy, 
wants you to go out and enjoy good food and enjoy good drink and send portions to those who don't have it. And I want you to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need to pray for joy, for gladness, for satisfaction. Can I give you just a couple more verses from um, Ecclesiastes? I know Ecclesiastes is a kind of mysterious book and there's different views on how we are to interpret Ecclesiastes, but I think there's a few passages here that shed light on this about praying for satisfaction and the role of gladness in the heart and the life of the believer. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says in verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So we enjoy food, we enjoy drink, we enjoy our labor, and we know that we enjoy it because it's coming from the hand of God. Um, another passage in Ecclesiastes would be um, chapter 8 and verse 15. It says this, I commend, he's talking about how life, again, life, like Moses said, life is short. He says, at times it seems like the wicked prosper just as much as the holy prosper. And so his conclusion, I commend joy. What a great verse. I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. One last verse. I think it's in chapter 5. Yes, behold, chapter 5, verse 16. Behold what? And we can put these verses on the board for you. If you miss these, you can write these references down. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun for the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in toil. This is the gift of God. God's given every every American here is a gift. We're living in the most wealthiest time in human history and the wealthiest place on the planet. The poorest among us are the richest in the world. And God's saying, this is a gift that I've given to you. Don't feel guilty about it. Use it for good, but enjoy it because I've given it to you to enjoy. Verse 20, for he was not, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Again, this takes us back to living in the present. We're so satisfied with this moment. We don't long for the ones that were before us because every moment seems better than the one before. We need to pray that we would find more than just gladness, more than happiness, more even than joy, satisfaction in God, in His steadfast love. And this brings us really to the next point, verse 16, the fourth prayer request. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 15. Make us... I'm sorry, verse 16. We'll get it right this time. Verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. His fourth request is, show us your works. If we're going to be satisfied in God, we need to be aware of the works that He is doing. And here, Moses is praying, show us your works. Moses is praying for a generational admiration of God's greatness. He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And so if we're going to 
be satisfied in God, particularly if we're going to be satisfied in His steadfast love, we need to be aware of what He is doing around us. And His glory, His works, His love is on display all around us, all the time. But we need to pray that we would have eyes to see it because too often we miss it. We don't see it or we attribute it to some other source, but it's God behind all of it. If it's good and it's enjoyable and you honor God in it, it's coming from God. We hear his works in the newborn infant's cry and in the toddler's laugh. We see his works in the sunrise and in the frost and in the dew and in the night sky. We smell his works in that first cup of coffee over the word of God as we listen to him speak to us early in the morning. We feel his love with the embrace of a, of a loved one or the handshake of a member of God's family in the house of God. His works are all around us. Even in life's most difficult experiences, we know God is at work for our growth for his glory, for the common good, but we have to pray that we have eyes to see it because it's so easy to miss. We get so consumed and lost. We're not living in the present. We're not counting our days. We're not praying to have joy in him and be satisfied in him, and we miss all of his works around us. But not only do we pray for God to show us his works, but look at verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a great prayer that is. To pray that God would establish our works. Not only to show us His works, but to establish our works. What do you hope to accomplish in this next year? I hope I hope you have plans. I hope you have goals. I hope you're not just going to coast. I hope you're not just trying to survive 2021. I hope that you look ahead and you have hopes. You have goals. Maybe professional development. Maybe personal goals. Maybe spiritual advancements. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to try to accomplish X, Y, Z for God. Maybe the spiritual advancement you need this year is... I just I need to learn stillness before God or nearness to God or maybe a sin finally to forsake because you want what God has to offer more than you want what that sin has to offer. If that's true, then you need to pray. Make this a part of your prayer life. Lord, establish my works. These are five prayer requests that I think it would do well for us to memorize and incorporate into just the ebb and flow of our time with the Lord, that we are constantly praying these five things. Maybe that's what the first thing on your New Year's list is, Lord, I'm going I'm to memorize these requests. I'm going to add them to my prayer book, but I'm going to make this my prayer this year so that if 2021 is 10 times worse than 2020, at least I've got this to go back to. Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Psalm 127, 1. And so we pray. We pray, Lord, we need you to establish everything that we're doing. Because if it's not you doing it, it's not going to last for anything at all. So let's close our time together this morning.
and really close our time together this year by putting a prayer to song. Those are my favorite songs, the songs that are addressing God directly, these prayer songs. Somehow, prayer is such a mysterious and amazing thing. Somehow, God, God has put His Spirit inside of us, and then that Spirit informs us, and through His Spirit, we call out to Him for what He has to give to us. And then when we put that to music, somehow it puts our heart behind it, draws our emotions into it, and we set our mind on Him who never changes. Everything around us is going to change. And look how far we've come this year as a church, as individuals. But one thing never changes, and that's God. And that's why we can pray with Moses, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all 